0: When you stop and think about it, families can be difficult. Growing up, you may not realize how strange your family is because for you, it's the norm. But, and I'm speaking from personal experience, families can be cruel, families can be harsh, families can be devious, and in the very worst of cases, Families can be murderous. You're listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here are your hosts, Christy, Amber, and Scott. Hey, everybody, it's Old Timey Crimey. I'm Scott. And I'm Amber. And none of us are Christy. None of us are Christy. None of us are Christy. She's gone.
1: No, Christy is taking a much needed break this week and we are running the show and she's not going to stop us from saying horrible things.
0: Murder. (laughs) She never stops me from saying that. Christy loves murder.
1: She does love murder, Um, but she probably, she probably loves her week off as much as murder.
0: I'm not going to lie. I'm a little jealous of her. Do you have any rays of light for this week, buddy?
1: Um, yes, actually, I do. Uh, So a really good friend of mine, Ryan, uh, fixed my daughter's gaming computer for us, which was fantastic. It needed um, a new CPU cooler or stock cooler or something, but it was like liquid cooled. So there was a lot more to it. Um, But he, he fixed it up and it's working and running and amazing and saved me a whole lot of money.
0: Jesus Christ! I saw a, uh, I saw a computer this week that was it was liquid cooled, but it the uh, the liquid coolant was Bell Delphine's bathwater. <laughs> Fucking hell! Your computer already has a virus fresh out of the box. That's fantastic. Good work.
1: <laughs> well, what about you? What is your ray of light for the week?
0: My ray of light is once again COVID nineteen does beautiful things for me. Uh, <laughs> 200,000 dead in America. Uh, we have 20% of the world's deaths, despite the fact we have 4% of the population. But it's not all good news. But, but anyway, um, this week, I get to go to my first Transformers convention thanks to COVID-19.
1: Woo! Yeah,
0: yeah. They are doing the Hasbro convention online this year. Online, awesome. yeah, so, yeah, Saturday, uh, I'm going to wake up, uh, I'm going to order my favorite pizza from the uh, from the pizza deli downtown, I'm going to get myself a burning down the house pizza, and I am going to, they, they're also doing it Friday, but it's like Star Wars, and uh, like Dungeons and Dragons, and hero cards, stuff that I don't give a crap about, don't really care about that. But the you should
1: tell tra- Chrissy, though, because she'd be on board with the Star Wars.
0: Maybe, maybe. But on, on Saturday, then they're doing all the Transformers stuff. Awesome. Tenacious D is going to be performing live. Oh, my God. Right? So I'll, I'll let you know whenever Tenacious D is playing. You might want to watch that.
1: I would love that, actually, because y- your butt cheeks is warm.
0: Oh, man. I doubt they'll be singing that for a convention put by Hasbro. <laughs> And, uh, and then they're going to have like, a bunch of voice actors on. Looking forward to that. And then I'm going to leave right before the final guest, Fallout Boy. I don't give a crap about <laughs> Fallout Boy.
1: That's because you're not a 15-year-old girl.
0: Uh, yeah. And then the Q&A for Fallout Boy. Not going to go to no, that no. either.
1: Yeah, no.
0: But yeah, going to my first convention, and I'm so looking forward to it.
1: That is awesome. That is awesome. And I agree. I also would not stay for Fallout Boy. I don't trust any boys that wear more eyeliner than me.
0: Well, Paul Rudd. Does he wear eyeliner? Paul Rudd wore eyeliner in like one video he did. He uh he recreated the video to You Spin Me Round. Okay,
1: that's forgivable.
0: Yeah, he wore eyeliner. and But uh, he's, he's
1: not just doing it like to go shopping.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I'm not gay, but if I was give me a call, you know. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) You have a story for us this week.
1: I do have a story for us. We are going to talk about the Crouch family murders.
0: Yeah, could you have found something that was a little bit harder to get information on? Damn.
1: I I got a lot of information on this, which is why I'm running the show. (laughs) Um so, so we're gonna start with Jacob Crouch. Uh, he is the patriarch of the family. He was born in 1809 in Orange County, New York. He moves to Michigan in 1830.
0: Jacob um, looks like one of the dudes on on the Smith Brothers cough drop package.
1: Yeah, he's he's kind of scary looking. Like, I feel like that's the guy that would throat punch you for looking at him the wrong way. Like he stepped right out of the Civil War. Right. And- <laughs>
0: He's like the old dude with the, show, the snow shovel in uh in Home Alone.
1: Yeah, kind of, but meaner. He yeah. looks meaner. Uh he's got like the big beard and the icy eyes that like just they don't look friendly at all. And it's actually kind of the way he's described. He's not described as very friendly. Um but anyway. So he moves to Michigan, Jackson County, Michigan in 1830. In 1837, he bought a bunch of land, um, and the next year, he gets married to Anna Bush, and they settle down on a farm on Horton Road. So, it was considered to be great land for uh, the best wheat crops. And then,
0: Jacob and Anna proceed to start
1: popping out kids.
0: Of course they do. Of course they do. That's the next thing you do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They had five children. Um, first came Susan, born in 1839, and then uh, Ethel in 1840, but she actually passed away when she was just four years old. Um, and then son, Bri- Byron, Brian. I Actually, I, you know what? I have it both ways. I, I'm going to go with Brian. I'm not sure if I – hold on. Let me look how many different ways I wrote his name.
0: No Do you have
1: Brian. Byron or Brian.
0: Let me take a look through my notes here. Give me a second.
1: Because I think I have it both ways. That's what she
0: said. Hey, hey, hey.
1: (laughs) Byron. I have
0: Byron. Byron.
1: Yeah, I think that's just a typo. My bad.
0: Yeah, B-Y-R-O-N.
1: So so Byron in uh, 1942, Dayton. Yeah, no, screwing that up. Cut that out. Byron in 1842, Dayton in 1846, and uh, Eunice, 1850, and then finally Judson in 1859. Now, Judson's going to be kind of important. Um, Judd was born with a crippled foot. So one foot was shorter than the other. Um, and just six days after his birth, Anna dies. So our lovely Jacob Crouch wasn't having that.
0: So I'll he beat gave... the foot normal.
1: <laughs> well, and I don't know if it's just if it was because he didn't want to deal with the baby or if it's because the baby was kind of deformed. But he gives Judd to the eldest, Susan. She would have been about 20 at the time, and she was married to Daniel Holcomb, and they live nearby on another farm. So, the last baby is born, the wife dies, and he's like, take this fucking kid.
0: I don't want it. It smells like meat.
1: And apparently, they didn't tell Judd. So, um, Judd thought that Susan was his mom until he was about 10 years old.
0: Christ, oh, that's, that's fucking heartbreaking.
1: Now, I love this, because this whole story is like a soap opera. It's amazing. So, Crouch has supposedly given the couple $15,000 to raise Judd. Now, back in this time, I used the calculator. Christy would be so proud. It would be uh, just under $470,000 today.
0: To raise a child. To keep the kid. To keep the ch- kid. Keep the child $470,000. Would I take one of your children for
1: $470,000? I might mm. pay you that to take one of my children.
0: <laughs> yeah. like I'm trying to think. Is that, a good, is that a good price?
1: That's actually not a good price. No, so
0: because raising a child is really expensive. Super expensive. But at the same time, I could train them to mow the lawn.
1: You could. I mean, that's that's especially back then. That's why you had kids. You had kids to do your manual labor. And I'm also thinking that probably had something to do with why he gave Judd away because Judd had a weird foot. Yeah. And he was probably like, this kid's not going to be any good plowing fields. Get rid of it. So anyway, Eunice was Jacob's undisputed favorite child. She was a graduate of St. Mary's College at Notre Dame. And she married Henry White, whose brother, George White, was a prominent Jackson physician who sold patent medicines through one of the city's largest pharmacies. They were married for about two years, and then the Whites moved back in with Jacob so that Eunice could take care of her aging father.
0: Wow. This is weird. There's a lot of names to deal with here. None of them normal. Eunice? Eunice? Eunice. That sounds like something that happens to the hole in your penis.
1: Well, okay, so this is the 1800s. None of these names are going to be
0: normal. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
1: But, but I'm just trying to set this up. So, in this house, we have Jacob, who I'm probably going to refer to as Crouch most of the time, um, and then his favorite daughter Eunice. Eunice's husband Henry. They live in this house, along with George Ballis who is a 16-year-old farmhand and Mrs. Julia Reese, who was the domestic servant. Um, And and this house was considered kind of shabby. It's like a two-story farmhouse, not not in the best shape. It needs some paint. It's obviously not supposed to be fancy. Um, Mrs. Reese was 22, described as being very attractive and she had separated from her husband two years prior. So she's, she's just living there. She's like a live-in maid. Yeah. So we're going to fast forward to the November 22nd, 1883. Jacob comes in from milking and cows and announces to the household that they will be having a guest staying with them for the night.
0: Could you imagine being milked by Jacob? Come on, <laughs> goddamn son of a bitch! fucking just like the cold, harsh hands on your teats.
1: Yeah, and I imagine he wasn't gentle at all. Like no. he doesn't look like a gentle kind of guy. He's
0: grabbing um, a tit and squeezing—that's what he's doing. Give me
1: milk, you bitch. Um, this, so- that's a
0: bull, Jacob. You know you're just yanking on his dick, right? <laughs> give me a very vigorous hand job.
1: I'll uh, milk eventually. Yeah, but right? the
0: milk's so creamy. <laughs> Oh, God. Christy may take that out.
1: (laughs) Probably. Probably. Um, So their guest for the night is a Mr. Moses Polly. He came originally from Jackson, but was now living in Pennsylvania. He is a cattle buyer. And he actually beforehand had once lived with Crouch. So they go way back. They know each other. He trusts this guy. Um, And he was in town looking at a couple of steers that Crouch was fattening up for sale. And uh, Crouch kind of wanted him to stay and catch up and find out what his neighbors were up to because, I mean, this is, like, basically a traveling salesman, so he probably knows the scoop. So Crouch is like, no, you stay tonight, have dinner, sleep here, catch me up on everything going on. And having lived with Crouch before, Polly's like, yeah, sure, I'll stay.
0: No, no, come on. People that live with Crouch don't go, yeah, I'll stay.
1: Well, okay, so here's the thing, though. Crouch was pretty wealthy. Like Crouch is a guy that you kind of want on your side. The, the guy is loaded, but he doesn't trust banks. So all the money is on his person. Okay. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons you might want to be friend with an ornery old goat who's probably going to die soon, who has a lot of money. You want maybe a little something-something to you in the will, right?
0: I get that. Okay. Yeah, I understand
1: that. So, um, but actually, Polly had a lot of cash on him at the time too, because cattle buyers back in these days were expected to, like, if they made a, like, got the sale, they would pay cash immediately. And he's in town for a couple days, gonna hopefully make a few different buys. So he's loaded down with cash. Mm-hmm. So, I actually have um, a little quote from one of the articles. And I, I, I want to just read this to you as it is, to give you kind of a sense of where we're at in this point in time. Because oh. I know we talk a lot about like the older days, but um, I really felt like this conversation threw a lot of history in it to kind of get you in the mood. Okay. Around a pot-bellied stove fed by chunks of oak wood, the group that stayed that evening and talked of crops and cows and politics. Chester A. Arthur was president of the United States, and Crouch thought that he might be re-elected in the campaign the coming year. Polly disagreed, believing that James G. Blaine, who had narrowly missed nomination in 1880, would be the Republican choice. White didn't think Blaine would win if he were nominated. Too many don't like him, was his opinion. The two women kept silent, although Eunice White, two years her husband senior, itched to air an opinion. White noticed her lips, parted, her parted lips and shook his head. Her father didn't care for women's views in politics. Yeah. So that gives you an idea of where we're at. We're talking about a president that everyone has forgotten. And um, women weren't allowed to talk politics, but they were expected to sit there and look pretty. So it, it kind of gives you like a little feel for, for just the time period.
0: Yeah. Yeah. God, You know what? Thank God we're out of that.
1: Oh, my God. So I I was in so many different newspaper articles for this that had the most sexist ads that were like half page ads. And I was getting furious, furious, trying to read these newspapers and seeing these ads about like one was um, if only the the female farmhands would dress a little cuter, then maybe the owners of the farm wouldn't hate having females working there.
0: Fuck. But- and
1: it has, it has this, like, breasty woman who only has, like, one leg and this tiny, tiny little, like, bib dress. Like, and I'm just like, oh, my friggin' God. Like... <laughs> Oh my god. I said here and there. Uh,
0: there. there's been some pretty fucking creepy ads through the Times. Have you ever seen the one ad from like the 60s or the 70s where it's like innocence has never looked so so sexy? Uh. And it's like a 4-year-old girl that looks like she's she looks like Joan Binet Ramsey.
1: Uh, that was actually immediately what came to my mind was Joan Bennett.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She looks like but, Joan Binet Ramsey.
1: Back to the story.
0: I, I feel ill.
1: Well, it's going to get weirder. Yeah. So just hang tight. Yay. So Crouch, around 9 p.m., goes, all right, guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed. And he stands up and he kind of walks over to the window. And he goes, all right, looks like there's a, there's a thunderstorm rolling in. The wind's really picking up out there. And they all go to, to bed. So Crouch, Polly, and the Whites had bedrooms on the first floor. Wallace and Mrs. Reese had bedrooms up on the second floor because they're servants, so they're a little further away. Mrs. Reese was the last to leave the kitchen, and she took the lamp with her as she went up to bed. So at about 1130, the thunderstorm is going whole hog. So you've got thunder and the wind is rattling windows because, I mean, it's an older farmhouse. The windows are kind of loose in their frames. Right. And George Bullis gets woken up by the thunder and the rattling
0: oh and, I get that my my house is the same way. I live in a hundred and fifty year old home, and if one of the cats like thinks about a sneeze they'll they'll rattle
1: so so Ballis gets woken up by this and um and then he hears suddenly what sounds like a gunshot and and so he's he stops and he's just listening because he's like. He's just waking up, so like he's kind of thinking to himself, "All right, maybe that was just the thunder. Maybe I'm hearing something." And uh, so he's just he's sitting there and he's listening to the storm, and then he hears footsteps downstairs, and what sounds like a groan. Okay. So, then he hears what sounds like heavy furniture being moved, and You're he kind of ready for an orgy. Well, he doesn't know. I mean, he heard what he thought was a gunshot, and he heard somebody groan.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And then he hears heavy furniture being moved and uh, he kind of gets out of bed and he looks out the window and he, he says that he sees an eerie glow and the shadow of a man by the gate and then the glow disappeared. So now he's freaking out. He doesn't know what's going on, but he, he's a little scared. So he has uh, a cedar chest in the corner of his room and he runs to it and he scoops out the clothes that are in it and he climbs inside and I mean, he's, he's a 16 year old boy, so it didn't close the whole way. It was still about six inches open, but he stayed curled up inside this chest. Then he hears more gunshots and he can smell the gunpowder from the chest.
0: Oh, that's creepy.
1: So he stays there, just terrified as the storm is raging outside and he hears all these gunshots downstairs and he just doesn't. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't make a peep. He just stays huddled up in a little pretzel inside this chest until the sun comes up. So the the storm is gone now. The sun is up. He's been there for hours. And he he gets out of his hiding place and and he's shaking and he, he puts his pants on. And he was so scared he didn't even realize he put his pants on inside out. Like that's how freaked out this kid is. And he doesn't put on his boots, he tiptoes in bare feet down to Crouch's room, and he listens outside the door. So, I mean, Crouch is a farmer. Crouch gets up with the sun. That's just, that's what farmers do.
0: Right, right.
1: And so the sun's up and he's listening outside of Crouch's door and nothing. He hears nothing. So he opens up the door, peeks inside, and then he bolts. He runs out of the house barefoot, half a mile to the nearest neighbor's house. Barefoot. Barefoot. Half a mile.
0: Jesus. Jesus. Have you ever run barefoot, like, out, outside?
1: I can't imagine it would be pleasant.
0: It sucks. It so, sucks. And this... Man, th- th- I'm, the adrenaline's got to be pumping for this poor kid.
1: Well, and, and you have to think, this kid has slept maybe two hours. Yeah. And he's been huddled up in fear for several hours... And then he's running barefoot half a mile. And and he gets to the nearest farm. And first he runs into Dan Reardon, who is a farmhand. And Reardon goes and gets Charles Parks. Charles Parks, also a farmhand, was just fired by Crouch the previous Saturday for being too friendly with Mrs. Reese.
0: Oh, it's, it's almost too cliche. The first person you meet is probably the killer.
1: So then they grab the neighbor, George Hutchins, and another man, and they all run back to the Crouch farmhouse. Okay. They burst through the kitchen door, scaring Mrs. Reese, who's at the stove, and Hutchins yells, who is murdered? What? Yeah. And Mrs. Reese kind of startles and turns around and looks at him, and very calmly, nobody's
0: murdered that I know of. I mean, do you smell pancakes?
1: So like this, this whole reaction is, is very strange. I mean, because you, you have George who was woken up by the whole thing, cowering in fear all night. And then you have Mrs. Reese. Nobody's murdered that I know of. Yeah. Nice and calm. Yeah. Cause I'm sorry. If a bunch of dudes ran into my kitchen, who's dead? I'd be like, I don't know who the fuck is dead. Like-
0: <laughs> who's dead? A lot of people. It's yeah, 2020. Like-
1: like I would probably react. I wouldn't be very placid, like, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. like
0: <laughs> <Dang>. So, so
1: <laughs> All right, so uh so they get into the house and and they find uh Jacob Crouch, who is seventy four. And of course, like I mentioned before, he was rich. He owned a thousand acres. He had extensive holdings in Texas. Um, like the, the guy was pretty wealthy. Um, they found him shot in the head. Polly in the next room was shot in the head and the chest. Henry White was shot in the neck and the abdomen. And Eunice. Um, was said to be shot
0: up to five times. Almost like she's the target.
1: Almost. Um, but it's important to note here, too, that I think I forgot to mention, Eunice at the time was eight months pregnant.
0: Oh, so yeah, you probably want to make doubly sure. So like probably two in Eunice and three for the kid.
1: Um, no, and actually, you know what, thank God it, it doesn't seem that way. And it's, it's such a shame because it seems like, I, I mean, at eight months, the, the baby is viable. Yeah. Um, yeah. But at the time, I don't know how they would have done that, but it was, uh, two shots to the right arm, one to the neck, another in the head. I'm not sure where the fifth shot was. That wasn't documented, but, um, several sources say four or five times she was shot. Um. <sighs> So uh, I know this is
0: like 127 years ago, but it still breaks my fucking heart.
1: It, it is it is a damn shame, but it's going to turn into a circus here in a minute.
0: Well, of course. Of course. People will be selling trophies here any second. The fucking raisins that were in the, the icebox will be up yeah. for sale.
1: So um, Hutchins sends George to the another nearby farm. It's the farm of Daniel Holcomb, which is Crouch's other son-in-law. He lived about two miles northeast, and uh, Holcomb got Sheriff Eugene Winnie involved. Okay, so I think it's important to note here that not a single one of these farmhouses had a phone, but news spread like wildfire. So before the sheriff and the coroner arrived, hundreds of curious people had already been inside.
0: Man, just... Well, I don't know how forensics was back then. AI do. Piss poor.
1: It was piss poor to start with, but then when you have all these people trampling over anything that might be evidence or taking souvenirs, which was also very common at the time, I, I mean, there's a lot of things that could have happened that, that might have pointed to our killer and disappeared from the scene. Yeah. So one of the things that I actually find fascinating here is with hundreds of curious people in this house the sheriff did find that Crouch's and Polly's wallets were both still in their pants pockets and that Eunice's purse was still on the windowsill. Hmm. All the money inside. So Motive motive wasn't robbery, because, I mean, they left a whole lot of cash behind if it was. Um... There were no powder marks on the bodies, suggesting that the gunmen had fired from at least several feet away. And the victims were all still in their beds. Um, Although it is thought that Eunice woke up, which is why she was shot so many times. They probably shot her husband first. And when she sat up, they wanted to make sure she didn't sit up again. Right. All right. So because they were the only two left alive in the house, you're right. Reese and Bullis were jailed for the murders. That doesn't.
0: That's not Right.
1: I mean, they were in the house. A bunch of people died.
0: These house living fuckers.
1: So uh, recent bullets were actually released pretty quickly due to lack of evidence. I mean, but it really does make sense that they were arrested being as how they were the only two people in the house. Um, But again, no evidence. They get let go.
0: I hate to think that that's all it takes to get you sent to jail. But really, yeah, I kind of see it. It's. You know, you should have gotten just a, hey, don't leave town.
1: Yeah, but you know what? Like, do you remember our tiny when all of the accomplices on the street were arrested and sentenced to death?
0: Yeah, but that was a <laughs> bit different. Don't you think?
1: It was a bit different, but sometimes it happens. Wrong place, wrong time. You get sentenced for the crime.
0: Mm, I don't like thinking about that. That, that but honestly it scares me. That honestly scares me. <laughs> I'm not saying I don't deserve to go to jail. I just want to go to jail for the right thing.
1: Yeah, but, but they, they were released pretty quickly. Um, now, something that we're going to mention again is Mrs. Reese was claiming that she slept through the whole thing.
0: That, that, happens, that happens quite a bit. There's, I know it's like, how do you sleep through this? How do you sleep through that? on in her defense in her defense trains go by my house every day i sleep right through it
1: well but she claimed that she was a light sleeper
0: <sighs>
1: so firearm experts came in and they determined that these bullets were fired from two different 38 caliber pistols and then they recreated the events firing their own guns and decided that no one possibly could have slept through the gunfire with at least 10 shots fired.
0: You know, there's another crime. We aren't going to get into it because it's a more modern crime. But the DeFeo murders. Uh, the DeFeo murders. Uh, DeFeo murdered his entire family one at a time, with a shotgun, while they slept. Why did? Why the hell did no one wake up? I do not know. Right? The DeFeo murders were the murders that took place in the Amityville Horror House. Ah. Mm. Um,
1: but then Mrs. Reese changes her story.
0: Oh, do tell.
1: And she must have been chloroformed
0: oh that's a tricky one too honestly
1: well you're gonna wake up this is a tricky one because oh go ahead
0: i'm sorry i keep stepping on you
1: no you're good you're good it is a tricky one though because the neighbors that arrived to the crime scene before the sheriff said that they could smell chloroform
0: huh so that's the thing chloroform takes like five minutes
1: yeah, it's it's not as quick as it is in in the the shows, and right. I actually I, I found a a lovely handout on how to make it.
0: <laughs> and here's here's something that they don't really tell you about it: chloroform kind of hurts.
1: Yeah. So you've done this.
0: I worked with chloroform whenever I was. Oh, yeah, when
1: you were a chemist.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I worked with chloroform. Whenever we, uh, whenever we did the MBAS test, the methylene blue activated solid test, uh, we used chloroform as a separating agent. A little something to get the uh, the erections going in our chemistry uh, bent uh, listeners. There, <laughs> <laughs> there's one or two of them, you know. It. Somebody out there goes, oh, I read a story about some dude that was aroused by the shape of Ohio." I'm sure that there's some dude out there that gets a uh, gets a hard on for chemistry
1: probably you're going to have a new boyfriend watch out
0: oh hey baby
1: (laughs) but even okay so even if if she was chloroform she would have woken up to one the smell and two somebody holding a cloth over her face yeah
0: yeah this is a a dainty doily draped gently across her face
1: yeah so either way her story is not shaping out in my opinion Um, Now, I'm not saying that I think she did it, but I think she knew a lot more than she was letting on. Um, But back then, they were kind of like, all right, fine, whatever. Maybe the dainty little lady was chloroformed. Mm -hmm. Whatever. So, there's going to be a lot more to the story, but I'm going to set up a bunch of wild and crazy events. Yay. So, on February 2nd, 1884... Just as these murders are starting to die down and not be in the news every day, the public goes wild again when they hear that Susan, remember Susan, Judd's fake mom's sister, Mm -hmm. Crouch's daughter, was found dead in her bed.
0: Holy shit.
1: Now, a doctor that looked at her said, oh, no, she was in poor health. It was probably due to a heart condition but rumors started flying that she drank a bunch of rat poison to kill herself because she knew too much.
0: Then mm. Ben, that's uh, there. There are like little, little things in a person's heart, like, like the connective tissue, uh, that actually break whenever you go through uh, a lot of a lot of stressful times. People actually do die of broken hearts. I if
1: yeah, but with all the stories we've heard about Crouch, this was not a broken heart.
0: Yeah, um, I guess so. <laughs> oh, he's dead! What a shame. You get okay. a pizza?
1: So I am going to introduce you to another suspect. So there's a Mister James.
0: Foy. He did it. I don't like the name.
1: Foy was one of the Holcomb's farmhands, and he was in Holcomb's home the night of the murder. He was supposedly in bed with a chore boy, and he shared the room with Judd and another boy. Hmm. So there's four boys, two beds, which sounds like the making of something interesting, but it's not.
0: I mean, I've uh, seen... I've seen two girls, one cup.
1: That was like initially what I thought. I was like, is chore boy like a euphemism? No, it's not. So it was just a farmhouse and they would have all the boys bunk together. Instead
0: of calling it a blowjob. Back in the old times, it was called a a blow chore.
1: (laughs) So they're rooming together. And after the initial murders, Judd and Foy move into the Crouch home to take care of that farm. Now, two days after Susan dies, Foy, Foy, that's hard to say, goes bar hopping. And apparently he was known to get drunk and to just run his mouth. And that's what he does. So he's jumping around bar to bar, saloon to saloon. He's telling all these wild stories. At one point, produces a 38 caliber revolver showed it off to several men. And then he took a train to union city where he got in a fight with a man named Elmer Schuler, and shot the deputy postmaster with said gun that he was showing off.
0: Well now who's going to deliver the mail?
1: <laughs> so Foy goes back to the home that he's now sharing with Judd where all these murders took place about 7am the next morning. And he has two guns, one of them his and one of them Judd's. And he tells Judd, mind you, he's still lit. He goes, I shot two guys. So Judd is used to him and goes, yeah, you're full of shit, whatever. And um, he, he leaves. He's got stuff to do. He drives to Horton to get some stuff for the horses. Now, Edith Holcomb, who is Susan's daughter, and Edith's aunt came over to the house to do some housework for Judd and they find all the doors locked. So they bang on the window until they wake Foy up, and Foy lets him in. Okay. Now this is a small town, and we learned how fast the murder got around. So the first thing they do is, what is this I hear about you shooting somebody last night?
0: Sounds like a good way to get suicided, <laughs> wink, wink.
1: <laughs> so Foy's pissed off, he doesn't want to talk about it, he blows him off, he goes out to the barn. As soon as he gets to the barn, a couple more workers are out there, what is this I hear about you shooting somebody last night? Don't, Foy goes back into the house. Don't talk to Foy. He goes back into the house. Mind you, this this is two days after Susan has died. And he picks up a thirty two caliber and he shoots himself in the head. See? <laughs> okay, so this is all in a matter of days. Three days later, on February 8th, Galen Brown, who was acting as an amateur detective for this case, was shot in the chest walking from the Crouch home to Horton.
0: Jesus, a lot of people die after the fact.
1: Well, Mr. Brown had a lot of interesting things to say. He said that there were two men in a buggy and one of them shot him and the one that shot him any guesses?
0: Now, Foy's already been suicided, but I don't know if he knows that. I'm going to say he goes, Foy. No, he went, Judd. Really? He says it was Judd, Crouch's
1: son, not son, that shot him. So,
0: Judd. I have have nothing about that in my notes. Oh, I know. I got a whole lot about this. Jesus, how did you do this?
1: Because I'm a miracle worker. You fucking are. (laughs) Like it gets s-
0: weirder. We're not done. Oh, I swear to God. I swear to God. I have here. Let's see. James Foy uh, found shot in the head. Boy talked freely. Crouch murders in the local saloon. Shot Union City Man. Uh, death ruled suicide. And then I have Daniel's trial starts November 8th, 1884. That, that's where my notes go.
1: Yeah, there's there's a whole lot to this, actually. And, And the newspapers were some of the most vocal about everything that happened. And there were a lot of interesting tidbits. So Judd and Daniel Holcomb were both arrested March 8th for the Crouch murders. Reason being, one, the neighbors said that they saw footprints around the Crouch home and that they could have been made by Judd's special Iron shoe.
0: Hmm. Judd shoe. had an iron shoe.
1: Well, because he had the the one weird short foot, right? And so he had a special shoe on that foot, and so the footprints were a little weird. And they immediately say that's probably Judd's I
0: fucking love the fact that they're like one of our suspects is like walking around with a fucking iron shoe. I know. That's a weird James Bond villain.
1: Second reason, they believe that Jacob Crouch intended to leave everything to his favorite daughter, Eunice. Mm. And three, because Foy had knowledge of the murders. So Foy was living with the Holcombs and sharing a room with Judd at the time of the murders. Foy did give a lot of information before he died that made people think that maybe he did actually know what happened. So first Hutchins, the man that ran in the kitchen and says, who's been murdered. Mm -hmm. He says that he saw the tracks from Crouch's home to Holcomb's barn made by a peculiar foot.
0: It was, it was big and heavy and you could see bolts instead of toe prints.
1: Well, and that's kind of exactly it, because on cross-examination, Hutchins admits that he hates the Holcombs, and that he could only afford to buy one of them out, so he was trying to at least get rid of the other.
0: Fucking hell. (laughs) That's a hell of a thing to admit at trial. Right? Yeah.
1: And then they can't prove that Crotch intended to leave everything to Eunice, because Crotch never made a will. And Byron, Crouch's other son down in Texas, said that he never even intended to make one. He was very adamant about the fact he was never going to make a will. So, Detective Brown, the man that was shot, Mm -hmm. supposedly by Judd, he testifies. He's got a lot of interesting things to say. So he's actually been around for a minute, and he talked to Foy before Foy died. Foy told him exactly how the murders were committed. Crouch was shot first and then Polly. Polly was put back into bed, which could explain why the the boy heard furniture moving. Right. He was put back into bed. Those two were killed by the same gunman, but there was a second shooter who killed the whites while a third man stood outside to keep watch. Supposedly, Foy was afraid of Judd and Holcomb because they could do the same to him.
0: Huh? See, and there was a similar theory put forth uh, in the Amityville Horror. Uh, DeFeo said, well, I was fucking my sister and we decided that we were going to run off together so we shot the entire family but then she turned on me so I shot her.
1: Yeah, it's kind of that way but anytime you team up with a bunch of people there's a really good chance that one of them is going to turn tail.
0: Yeah, which is why you kill everyone else. The Joker had it right.
1: (laughs) Well, which might be kind of what they did like Foy killed himself but I mean they probably kind of pushed him into it but Brown had been let into the house by Foy Mm -hmm. mind you Foy is living with Judd Foy left Brown alone in a room that had Judd's jacket in this jacket there were letters so Brown is a detective so he snoops and he he takes out this letter and he reads it The letter is postmarked from Texas, which is where Byron lives. Mm -hmm. He reads the letter and he puts it back, but he does remember that the letter said, Judd and Dan, secure those papers. You know only too well what will be done when Eunice's child is born. Foy will assist you in securing them.
0: Wow. The letter was... The letter was
1: signed with an alias, Charles Matthews, but under that, the initials B-L-C. Well, that doesn't work.
0: (laughs) Signed, Derek Smalls. No one else read this, Amber. It's really me, Scott. (laughs) Pretty
1: much. Yeah. But again, this is hearsay. There Mm -hmm. is no letter. Nobody sees a letter. There is no physical letter to prove this. But Brown insists that he took it out of the pocket and he read it and he memorized it. And that's how he knows this.
0: So, if he's a detective, shouldn't he have just, you Skept know, it? arrested them?
1: Yeah, or that. Yeah. But we're not done yet. There's so much more. There's so many players in this. It's like a, a Spanish soap opera. It's amazing.
0: So, El, el tiempo de Crouch Familia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> There's also an ex convict that testified Foy offered $2,000 to kill Crouch and he's going to come back into play in just a moment. All right. Three weeks after Brown's testimony, there's another arrest made in the Crouch murders. So they already have two guys going up to trial and then they arrest a third guy, a Joseph Allen who worked as a machinist in Jackson because he was found with a number of papers belonging to Crouch mortgages, deeds, land patents, and letters all belonging to Crouch.
0: They're just gonna arrest everybody.
1: They are. Because they don't they don't know which way is up right now. So they're just arresting anybody that has anything or knows anything. Mm -hmm. Alan says he found these papers buried in a glass jar under a tree on
0: Holcomb's property. (laughs) Fucking hell! All the evidence is like the Dead Sea Scrolls.
1: Which, but it's not it's not far off because Holcomb didn't trust
0: Banks. That's true. That's absolutely true. That's, you know, like you said, he had a pretty penny.
1: So under examination, Alan tells a different story. He says that Holcomb had the papers stolen. He wanted Alan to plant them on the ex-convict that they tried to hire to kill Crouch. So he goes into the jail. He's supposed to be getting $3,000 to plant these papers on this convict who turned them down. He has the papers in his shoe. He goes inside the prison to pay our convict a visit. But he gets paranoid. He thinks that he's being watched and followed in the jail. So he doesn't do it. He chickens out. He leaves. Well, when nobody met up with him to give him money, since he didn't do the job he was supposed to do, he just kept the papers.
0: Just toodles the fuck out.
1: Yeah. So Alan gets acquitted. But that helped them hold Holcomb for longer, because he he could have like perjured himself. Mm-hmm. So um, the trial of Daniel Holcomb lasted for months, dubbed the Great Trial, uh, w- between 140 and 150 witnesses. And several witnesses saying that Holcomb had purchased a 38 caliber revolver a month before the murders. They had either seen him with the gun. Heard him shooting outside or saw bullet marks in the trees behind his house. Whole bunch of people saying that, yeah, he's got a gun now. He definitely has a gun.
0: Good Lord. Everybody's guilty.
1: Everybody's guilty. A housemaid at the Holcomb's home said that the day after the murder, she saw bloody clothing in the room shared by Foy and Judd. She also said that she had been threatened that she needed to change her testimony unless she wanted to get shot. So there's 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 a lot to unpack here. But on January 10th, 1885, the jury returns with a verdict of...
0: <laughs> not guilty. Justice not served.
1: They deliberated for just over an hour. They decided that uh, it was not enough. Oddly enough... Judd was never brought to trial. He went on to get married in 1888. He was with his wife for uh, 53 years until his wife died. And uh, he continued to live quietly, staying in Jackson. And uh, whenever the story of his father would be brought up, he would express a great curiosity and wanting to know what happened that night. Mm. Now, I have some fun facts.
0: Okay, here we go.
1: Fun facts. All right, so we mentioned Sheriff Eugene Winnie. Now, he was he was a smart guy. So he called in an Ann Arbor photographer to take pictures of Eunice White's eyes to see if the image of her killer was still reflected in them.
0: God damn. Uh, let me guess. No. No, it's not. He said too much time had passed for it to work. Meaning that, you know, it always works best if it's, the photo is taken as the murder is happening.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so there were thousands of uh, morbid people that wanted to visit the Crouch Farm. And the Michigan Central Railroad started to halt trains there to accommodate those who wanted to see the scene of the crime. Pretty nice, mm-hmm. right? Yeah there was a Mrs. Thomas Murphy of Jackson. She was one of the many, many witnesses who was killed by her insane axe-wielding husband during the trial.
0: Are we going to get murdered just for discussing this? No,
1: but I did find one little fun tidbit, and this was all by itself. Okay. So the not guilty verdict came January 10th of 1885. But on January 8th, of 1885 a hack that that contained judd was struck by a train the horse was killed the vehicle wrecked but judd lived i feel like death like this is like final destination is just after this family yeah um it is said that in 1886 three bloody shirts were found buried in the stump of a tree on the holcomb property uh but it was never proved to belong to any killers and uh let me see what other fun stuff i have here cuz we have a long list of of suspects like so, we mentioned the farmhand that that had been fired by crouch that so was still very nearby
0: the little the little interesting thing that i found was the the county that they lived in jackson county mm-hmm. they offered a $10,000 reward and a relative of the Whites offered another two thousand for information leading to the capture of the killer or killers. But Jackson County also went to a detective agency for help. The, the Pinkertons. Pinkertons, <laughs> right? Like, just bringing the Pinkertons in means more people are probably going to die.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe that's who axe murdered the one
0: witness. Yeah. <laughs> You found it out, didn't you? Just smack dead.
1: So they never did actually say that anyone was guilty here. So there's a lot of unknowns. Um, But my my God-given response here is I think there were five people involved.
0: You're okay? thinking it's a murder on the Orient Express. Everybody did it. Yes and no. Yeah.
1: So I think... That our lovely housemaid who was getting too friendly with the guy that got fired. Mm-hmm. I think that she went and told them that they were in bed. She was the last to go to bed. And then he went and told his bosses. So he got Judd, Foy and Holcomb. And then they came over to the house and they killed the Crouches. That's what I think.
0: Now, we're looking at, like, the, you know, Mr. Crouch. You know, we're looking at that main guy, Jacob. Yes. I kind of wonder what type of family they were. I can't imagine Jacob was a nice guy. Just a uh, fucking disabled kid. Uh, here, here's half a million dollars. Fucking take care of him for me. You know, I can't see him as being very nice, but I wonder how the rest of them were.
1: I don't know. Not a lot is is said about um, how they were viewed as people. Like, there there was nobody that said anything necessarily bad about them, but senior Jacob Crouch was considered basically an ornery old man.
0: Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, God, just so much death surrounding this one.
1: There is. There's a whole lot of death. Yeah. There's also some fun coincidences.
0: All right, let's have some fun. <laughs> just pull up a chair, kick a body out of the way, and let's have a little bit of laughs.
1: So um, Daniel Holcomb, who is, is now a single man since Susan died,
0: hey. um,
1: he moved to Wisconsin. And he married another woman, maiden name Crouch.
0: Well, it, it saves you from yelling out the wrong name in the bed.
1: Yeah, but you don't really call your wives by their former last name. That's yeah. not really a uh,
0: well, kind of weird. You don't. <laughs> I'm, fuck you. I'm into that shit.
1: But then I know you and I have the same source because I have written in my notes just a fun little fact for Scott. Yay. But you know all about this, so if you would like to tell everybody the spooky part, go ahead.
0: You go right ahead. You go right ahead.
1: Okay, so ever since the murders, Erit rises from her grave every November 22nd, meets up with Jacob in the wee hours, and then they disappear into his gravesite.
0: Let me tell you why this is bullshit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You want to know what I want to know? Yeah. Why is Eunice's spirit meeting up with her daddy and not her husband?
0: Right. Yeah.
1: You think the baby was Jacob's?
0: Uh yeah. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think I don't think there was any any hanky-panky going on between mother uh, well, between father and daughter. But No. No. No, I don't Here. think so. I don't think okay. so. He's just I'm looking at him and like he had 5 kids and that's a little surprising in and of itself <laughs> i can't imagine anybody else looking at it and going like yeah i want to tap some of that um anytime that you have this every november 22nd you know or every every fifth full moon of the new year the ghost rises from the gr- no no they fucking don't what it is is a bunch of kids go out one of two things happens Bunch of kids go out, and another kid goes, I'm going to scare the fuck out of them.
1: I know. Like, I was totally the kid that would deliberately scare the fuck out of everybody. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> and more probably what happens more often than people realize, whenever you're looking for something, you're probably going to fucking find it. So every, every goddamn frog, like tree frog chirping, becomes a baby crying. Every, every leaf that drops is a ghost. And, you know, every, every wind that blows a little bit weird is, is a woman sobbing in, in pain. It's, it's absolute bullshit. The modern equivalent of this is like the photographs of, oh, look at all the orbs in here. Isn't, orbs! Isn't the orbs strange? No, the orbs are fucking dust.
1: <laughs> Clean your house.
0: Clean your goddamn house. You want to see a truly haunted place? Any woodshop. Any wood shop is incredibly haunted. Take a couple photos. Thousands upon thousands of ghosts as if they were sawdust <laughs> hanging in the air. It's not ghosts, it's particulate, you dumbasses.
1: I was actually really excited for a minute because I thought you were being serious. And I was like, Woodshops, really? I'm going to go to a woodshop. I want to see a ghost. Nothing but, <laughs> nothing but the
0: ghosts of trees. <laughs> Fucking hell. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I totally believe in ghosts. I-, I completely believe in ghosts. I've had a lot of strange things happen. I believe in cryptozoological creatures. You know, I don't believe in like you know the fucking jackalope or anything like that, or the the one-eyed flying dick monster of Schenectady, New York. I don't believe in shit like that. Do-
1: I might be down with that last
0: one. Oh yeah, yeah. Fans out there, if you'd like to do a little bit of a. <laughs> A little bit of a drawing, please do. But, like, is there is there such a thing as, like, this hairy thing that's walking around the North American woods? There's a lot of woods out there. Yeah, I'm going to say there is. And here's the thing. We'll never find Bigfoot, because if we find, like, the giant hairy thing walking around the woods, it's now probably going to be named the North American Mountain Gorilla. It's... <laughs> Respond... The North American mountain gorilla was responsible for many of the Bigfoot sightings. Yeah, because it was fucking Bigfoot.
1: So there's some really interesting <laughs> images if you Google one eyed flying dick monster, just for the record. Oh. None of them what I wanted to see, unfortunately, but there's some fun ones.
0: Going there now. One eyed <laughs> flying. There's a lot of
1: cartoons, like a lot more cartoons than I would expect. I really thought I was going to see a penis.
0: <laughs> but no. Richard Richard Nixon with an eye patch on a plane. <laughs> huh? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm disappointed by these search results. Y- you know what? The problem is we're on Google. Let's go to Bing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'll be I'll be fucking dead honest. I don't like, I don't search for porn on Google anymore. I go straight to Bing. One-eyed flying dick Dick monster. Monster. Here we go. Hi, Christy. (laughs) Images.
1: She's never taking another vacation again.
0: No, no. Fucking hell, Bing does not disappoint.
1: Bing did a lot better here with the one-eyed flying dick monster. I
0: mean, we still don't have flying, but that dude looks like he's Greek.
1: Okay, so you must be way more of a perv than me because it gave me a bunch of like, again, cartoons like one-eyed, fluffy balls with wings. Yeah. I I have no dicks. I am so disappointed.
0: I'm a pretty big perv.
1: Well, and I thought I was too, but apparently not. They think I love like one-eyed, purple people eater things.
0: I mean, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share this with like, uh, our. Uh, listeners or anything but
1: you know. oh there you go that's a way better one than what i had
0: right right
1: it's not flying but it's definitely a one-eyed dick monster one-eyed
0: dick monster oh it's from affordable wall art
1: oh cool yeah. all right all right anyway so uh you have to is... trim
0: some of that down
1: <laughs> that is it for our old timey crimey
0: thank you once again for joining us please Go over to Patreon. Get, uh, if you want to have like, early access to our episodes, if you want to have access to the old Tiny Crimeys, head on over to Patreon and just come on over there. There's just a ton of stuff going on there. You want to see what's going on? You want to see some of the players in our show? Get yourself over to Facebook. Get yourself over to Twitter, and we'll put up like, photos and amazing things. In fact, uh, there, was, there was some amazing stuff Last week, it, that I dug up uh, some things like, after the, after the fact, the gentleman who uh, took the photograph with the shoe camera from her old tiny last week, remember that, Amber? I do, and that
1: was amazing. I saw that photo.
0: Right, right. Turns out, George Went is his fucking grandson, the guy that played Norm on Cheers. Oh, I didn't know that. His great-grandson is comedian Jason Sudeikis. That's amazing. Right. So you're gonna find stuff over at Facebook and Twitter. you're gonna f- have like faces to go with the names and you're gonna find out little fun facts. Oh, Instagram too. Oh yeah, Instagram as well. Instagram Look at well. all the things. Yeah, look at, look at all the things. If you want to, you can leave us a dollar on the nightstand. Come on over to PayPal. We'll give you a true crime hand job and you can just leave us a dollar <laughs> <laughs> And) Check us out. You can find us anywhere you download podcasts. But if you want to help us out, if you can't give us a dollar or two dollars or join the Patreon, believe me, we understand that times are a little bit tough right now. The world's a weird place. 2020 has been like that crazy uncle that came to visit whenever you were 12 and got drunk every night and just wouldn't fucking leave. But if you can't do that. You know what we'd really appreciate? Leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a review on Stitcher. It costs nothing but your time, and you're not working. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> just, just leave us a review. And you know what? We're even on Stitcher, man. Stitcher Stitcher's my favorite. Stitcher is my absolute favorite because you can download it. You can, you can play it on your device. It is fantastic. Amber, what do you have going on this week?
1: Um, I actually am going to be cooking a dinner for some friends. Uh, like I said, uh, Ryan had helped me out and fixed the computer. So I am, uh, cooking him and his lady friend, a lovely dinner. It's going to be a surprise. So I don't want to say what it is, but, um, they're, they're coming over and I am cooking them a gratitude dinner. And, uh, that is, oh, and I'm also, okay. So this is my, my, my hot date.
0: Ooh,
1: you ready? My hot date.
0: Amber going to get some
1: yeah right uh so my my hot sexy time date is my parents are going to watch my children so that i can move all the furniture out of my living room and shampoo the rugs
0: god damn that's so fucking hot <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's my big hot date that i have planned for this week too
0: just you scrubbing the fucking. he's a dirty girl <laughs>
1: yeah. what about you what do you got coming up
0: I, like I said, I'm doing like the whole convention thing on Saturday, and I have uh, I have found the joy of not leaving my house. Um, that
1: is a great joy.
0: It really is. It really is. I I love not going anywhere. Uh, so what I'm going to do, Ariana and I are going to do like the whole Hasbro convention thing, and uh, and then we're gonna watch. We're probably gonna watch a movie. I have been watching The Boys. Uh, If you haven't watched The Boys, god damn, I strongly suggest you watch The Boys. Amber, you would fucking... I don't watch
1: anything. Oh, no. I honestly... You
0: you would fucking (laughs) love it. I am going to show you a scene that takes place in a nursery in The Boys that you are going to be addicted to this show instantly because I know you so fucking well.
1: Okay, well, send it to me later. I can't promise that I'm going to watch it right away because I don't i don't actually watch TV like ever anymore. Um, but, yeah, that is all the time we have for this week. And thank you for listening to Old Timey Crimey. And uh, thank you for listening to our filthy
0: words. Those words are going to need a shampoo. And...
1: <laughs> all right, Bye. Bye. My sources this week are findagrave.com, michiganlive.com, an article by Leanne Smith, newspapers.com, Detroit Free Press uh, by Donald Schramm and Ralph Gall, officialdata.org, Haunted Michigan by John Robinson, and several other articles from newspapers.com.
0: My sources for this week are the same article on mlive.com by Leanne Smith. Findagrave.com and Mix957GR.com. Steve's Ghost Stories. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm Lindsay Valenti. And I'm Madison Stengel. And
0: we're the hosts of Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny,
1: hey man he's a nice guy and they're like no he's disgusting he has hooves
0: strange there are edps of spirits saying get out in a room where patients committed suicide and obscure crimes of yesteryear you're Here, justin here's your first phallic amulet join us wednesdays wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll see you next time with another tale
1: as old as crime